that I don't know if you guys know like the NPC meme on TikTok. The NPC streamers. Um, like I said, I don't really do TikTok. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I have zero connection to TikTok. I've heard the words NPC meme before. Yeah, yeah, I know what I know what NPCs are. Yeah, but <laughs> I don't even know. I don't. I don't even know. If, is this part of the podcast? I, I, I guess that'll. I'll determine that when I start editing it. I don't know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Welcome to Conversely, the show that's like a group of penguins on an iceberg, except instead of squawking about fish, we're diving deep into cool topics. And uh, just as an aside, I, I had ChatGPT write a bunch of intros for me, so that's where that, <laughs> like a group of penguins thing came from. ChatGPT came up with that. It, it gave me a bunch of them. Some of them were pretty wild. What, what was your favorite? What was your favorite one? Well, uh, just a second. I've got it right over here in another window. I was just looking at them. It was just, it was really weird how it stuck two things together. Like the show that's like a submarine tour and a lemonade stand. Like what? That doesn't even make sense. How? Yeah, Gotcha, PT does that. Yeah. Uh, the show, it's like a kangaroo boxing match in an art gallery, dance off in a haunted house, a pirate treasure hunt in a pancake house. So, so I have two wonderful guests here that I'm excited to introduce you to, and they're excited to talk to you as well. Uh, so first up is Edward Sturm. Is it Sturm, by the way? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. Okay. No, one, no one does it. First try. <laughs> uh, Edward is the host of The Edward Show obviously, uh, a daily podcast about growth hacks, shortcuts, and go-to-market, and does a lot on TikTok. Yeah, thank you. And next we have Noah Healy. Healy, is that right? Correct, yes. Okay, good. That's what it looked like, but you never really know. <laughs> Noah is a recreational mathematician and the founder of the Coordinated Discovery Market, which describes itself as a better exchange market for commodities. There you go. Any anything else you want to tell us about what you do? Um, yeah, I also have a podcast called The Fourth Age with my co-host Marty Weiner, um, who's the former CTO of Reddit, uh, talking about really? AI and um, both sort of the the current events and also the the implications in the short, medium, and long term. Yeah. Very cool. We actually did uh, an episode, uh, I don't know, two or three episodes ago now, depending on what order I post all of these in, where we talked about AI quite a bit. So, And I'm sure we're probably going to end up talking about AI some today as well. So, All right, this is Editor Scott jumping in here briefly because I wanted to explain a few acronyms and some things that are going to come up in the conversation for those who might not be aware of it. So AGI is Artificial General Intelligence. It's basically uh, an artificial intelligence that can do what humans can do. It's more complicated than that, but that's the basic idea. And then an ASI is an artificial super intelligence, which is an artificial intelligence that's basically well beyond what humans can do. Um, another acronym that came up a lot is UBI, which is a universal basic income. Now the idea of a UBI, if you're not familiar with it, is it's sort of like a stipend from the government where everybody gets sort of a minimum amount of money. So if you're unemployed, underemployed, if there's not enough jobs, something like this, you have enough to survive off of. So that's the idea there. Uh, one more thing is Sam Altman. If you're not familiar with Sam Altman, he is the CEO of OpenAI, which is the company that made ChatGPT. And so since ChatGPT is kind of the big popular thing that everybody's talking about right now, Sam Altman is also someone that people are talking about a lot right now. And in fact, last spring, he testified at a Senate subcommittee hearing that was discussing the need to regulate AI and how maybe they would go about doing that. So hopefully that'll get everyone caught up. So now I'll send you right back to the conversation. Noah, have you, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of my friends are listening to this. I'm maybe a half, half the way through. I don't normally listen to Joe Rogan, but I love Sam Altman. And when I saw that Sam Altman was on Rogan, I'm like, I, I got to hear this. And I, have you, have you heard any of it? I, I did, uh, hear one clip of the Rogan Altman interview. Um, I have to say that I'm somewhat more ambivalent about Sam Altman than, than you probably are. Um, his Interesting. statements don't seem to indicate uh, either an awareness of what he's doing or um, motives that are perhaps useful. What, like, um, well, what do you mean? So you, you think he doesn't, he's not aware of the gravity 
of an AGI. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so if if the statements that he's made about AGI, and I'm not I'm not particularly up on the idea that we are close to AGI or that the approach that uh, OpenAI is using is uh, instrumental path towards AGI. There's there's a lot of basic philosophy that exists in computational mathematics and in uh, artificial intelligence research. And Sam's public statements uh, are either knowing deceptions or, or show no awareness of any of it. Um, and uh, and if he has if he literally has no awareness of any of the history of computer science over the last ninety ish years at this point, uh, then I'm not entirely sure how he managed to get OpenAI off the ground. Um, but uh, but that would be it's knowing deception. It's knowing deception. Well, that's much more likely in my in my view. Yes. Yeah, but the reason the reason the reason he does that is because there are very dumb um, and scared, like, I don't want to say boomers. I don't want to general, generalize like that. But honestly, it's the boomers, and they and they work in government. And, like, if he doesn't pander to these people, he'll, I, I don't know, will he be shut down? Uh, he might be, be, pretty but, bad. I mean, so, like, that's, this is this is the place where I am, essentially. Um, the, the entire concept mm. of the fourth age... Uh, is basically that computers are a bigger deal than steam engines. So take a look at the history of steam engines. Governments got wiped out. The government of England isn't the same as it used to be. Religions got wiped out. Customs got wiped out. Laws got wiped out. The way that people lived, what involved, what was involved in people's day-to-day existence changed in ways that would have been unrecognizable and were horrific to the people who existed in those societies that that are pre-industrialism, and that's where we are now. We have we have an entirely new technology. We can choose to abandon it. We're barely using it right now. We could sort of take the Amish solution, say we know how to run industrial societies. We're just going to be industrial. We're gonna we're gonna drop our pocket calculators down down the drain and just forget that they ever existed, or we can start doing the work and figuring out what it means to have a legitimate government in this with with these kinds of resources and the answer we can be quite assured will not be what what is generally presently regarded as legitimate government and that's that's Sam's job basically is to say precisely that to precisely those people because he's in the room with them and if he's not doing that it's either cuz he doesn't know that's his job or because he's too afraid to do it what you think his job is to confront politicians um, and say, "Hey, we're going to take away the your power." It, that would be that would be a complete miscalculation. Maybe not in those words. <laughs> that wouldn't be the smart way to say it. <laughs> Maybe not. Um, and and the thing about this is that we're all along for the ride. So the the it isn't a, the case that. The people who are there now can't be part of a future that is a solution, but they can't be. But what we're doing now isn't part of a future that has solutions. So, the the English crown, with some major baubles here and there, has survived to the modern day. The French crown didn't. The Danish crown did. The German crown didn't. So whether or not they make it is entirely on them. Um, and it's entirely whether or not they want to dig in and do the work of providing the services and doing so in ways that are legitimately useful. Um, but but if, you're, if you're sort of a phase behind, your current values are basically just wrong. I'm I'm from a town in the South, Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, you know, we we have we have the history of slavery and so on. And of course, the, there was a major social incident. 
slavery was essentially how civilizations worked during the agrarian period. And in, during the industrial period, it wasn't economically feasible to have or use slaves. And so society reformed itself to understand that enslaving people is evil, which I'm pretty happy to accept as, as true. Not everybody voluntarily went along with that. And, you know, I can, I can drive to half a dozen different places where uh, thousands of people were killed because that disagreement was being litigated basically in my backyard. Um, and, and I think we've done the right thing. And Sam, Sam's obviously a much more successful person than I am. I think he could find ways to do it, but completely avoiding the question, um, I, I, I don't, I don't like that at all. Do you think society has a history of liking hard questions and hard answers? But that doesn't mean you don't have to face them just because you don't like them. Yeah, we remember the people who who got through those things well. That's a good point. And is is we because you're you are you are an outlier, or not, probably all all of us on the show are outliers in terms of intelligence. I, I like I don't watch TV. I know people who watch TV. I can't I can't do it. I'm, I, it's like eating potato chips covered in cheap chocolate syrup. Like I, I can't, I can't, I can't do that. So those types of people, though, that's the masses. And I don't think those people have a history of liking hard answers to unpleasant uh, questions. They do not. Um, and, and that's, that's the foundational challenge, but what, but we can't really do anything about the existence of these hard questions. Um, the, the illegitimacy of our institutions and their incapacity to deal with the extraordinary capacities that we now have is baked into the cake. Um, we see this, we see this every day in politics and culture, um, things that pre-internet or even pre-television would have been swept under the rug. Um, you know, FDR was in a wheelchair Nobody even, you know, that, that was not common knowledge. Uh, but today... And that would be impossible to hide nowadays, yeah. Right, yeah. Today... Not a chance. Uh, we see... We, we see, see every little stumble that the president makes. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. I was in a wheelchair. We see unscripted, long-lens moments from world leaders <laughs> on a daily basis. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, a... a social, political, cultural, economic systems that are based on the limitations that used to exist breaks down. And, and we're watching them break down. I mean, look around at uh, how chaotic markets have become, how chaotic politics has become. Um, some of this is certainly bad actors taking advantage of situations, but the, the sort of foundational cause is that you can't give a political speech at this whistle stop and then go to the next whistle stop and tell them what you want to hear in a world where right after you do that, TikTok is going to stereo screen those two speeches side by side and show you lying to people. Yeah, I think a lot of times it doesn't even matter if people want to face these questions or not. Like, it's just... it. it it's kind of like like a steam engine, like <laughs> it's just it's going. You can't stop it, right? Um, these kind of things, these changes just. Ha I mean, look at how much everything's changed with the internet, and it wasn't like we've got the internet. Okay, now we're gonna just flip a switch and make the changes. It just sort of happened automatically. I feel like a lot of a lot of these changes over the last you know forty, thirty, forty, fifty. You know, it doesn't really matter if people want to face it or not. It's changing. Do you think Sam Altman's motives? are evil as in your like personal opinion the way that you view what evil is by your definition of evil um that's hard for me to say because i i've seen very little of his actions um but his his blockchain retina scan technology uh is a is a big negative for me the human id system based on a blockchain that 
doesn't support multi-crypto protocols, so basically is guaranteed to doom itself at some point, um, and which has a control point. What do you and, mean? What do you mean by multi-crypto protocols? Um, so one of the basic issues with any coding system is that it might be broken someday. And as far as we're presently concerned, every coding system we build will be broken someday. We do not have a theoretical basis for the production of unbreakable codes. There, there right. is a math problem that is being worked on, which if one of the two answers comes out that way, it would be possible for th those things to exist. But if it comes out the other way, and we don't know, then it wouldn't be possible for those things to exist. But, but they definitely don't exist right now. <laughs> but they certainly don't we exist are, right now. Not that yes. we know of, yeah. <laughs> um, and so we see, we see code systems getting broken, and it happens all the time. Now, it doesn't happen, you know, like you don't publish it on Wednesday and it's broken on Thursday, mostly. Uh, but putting in human identifiable relationship information into a system that in one decade or 10 decades, or frankly, even 7,000 decades, uh, will become fully public knowledge and open has some pretty negative you know, implications. And one's a lot worse than 7,000. But the the various chains, if the if the crypto protocol upon which they're they're built breaks, then the chain breaks as well. Most chains are subject to sort of a democratic takeover. If if half the operators on the chain want to say something different than the other half, the bigger half kind of will win. Um, but the reason it's a struggle and why it's expensive and so on right now is because we can't break these, these cryptographic protocols. And so you can't, you can't create false messages that need to be respected by other people on the chain. But if the cryptographic protocol breaks, then you can create false messages that aren't distinguishable except through personal relationships and your own computer memories and so on. Um, and so that's the risk. At some point, if you're, if you're dealing with a chain that's using a single protocol, then at some point that protocol breaks and that chain goes away. And all the existing chain structures use single protocols. What do you think of Bitcoin? Um, I think Bitcoin is an interesting experiment uh, that actually did some pretty stunning breakthroughs in the theoretical space of cryptography that has almost perfectly misunderstood the role of currencies in economic systems and has yoked itself to the part of our economic systems that are the most broken um, and, and sort of doomed itself thereby. Oh, so you're completely bearish on Bitcoin. Um, that is not a term I'd be comfortable using um, because because I it it could easily go up. I it, I see it as sort of a social phenomenon, like hula hoops or something. Um, it could get popular, or it become <laughs> unpopular, or or Wordle, or Wordle. Yes, as right, exactly. It was really popular, and people were talking about like, "Oh, what are we gonna do when we've used up all the words and everyone's still playing it?" And I was like, "No one's still gonna be playing it by <laughs> then in right. five years." You know? yeah. But people think, "Oh, it's gonna be popular forever, right?" Right. Um, so, I see economic systems and markets as information systems, and specifically super intelligent information systems, um, and it is from their use as a medium of exchange in super intelligent markets that currencies gain their value. So uh, plugging Bitcoin into existing market structures, which are again collapsing, the, the flash crash, I mean, bubbles are not a new phenomenon, but uh, algorithmically mediated bubbles and chaos are a phenomenon of the last 
30, 35-ish years, and it's getting worse, and it'll keep getting worse because computers are going to keep getting faster and more efficient, and that's the best way to extract money from the market as a price taker is to increase the chaos of the marketplace. You know, it's interesting. You guys kind of have just started talking about what my question was without even realizing it. <laughs> Essentially, this is perfect because I was thinking what what would be a good question for, for you guys to talk about? And apparently I picked a good one because you're basically doing it already. But my, my, my question that I was going to pose to you guys was, you know, there's all these jobs that used to exist and don't anymore, right? Like lamp lighters and ice cutters and telegraph operators and and, and the, my question was going to be, what jobs currently are not going to exist in 10, 50, 100 years where people will look back and say, somebody used to get paid to do that? Like, that was a thing? Used to, get, used to pay people to go out and cut chunks of ice off of lakes for refrigeration? Like, that was a job. That seems crazy now. I don't think there's going to be, I don't think there's going to be any jobs. We will have an AGI, a super, we will have a super intelligence, and we will all get a UBI or... It may be and or we will have just a global consciousness. We will choose to upload our minds to this global supercomputer and travel throughout the universe and merge with the fabric of space time. That 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 is what I believe will happen. And um, I don't know. People, Elon Musk thinks AGI is ten to fifteen years away. Sam Altman said to rogan he thinks it's 30 years away i personally don't think generative ai is going to lead to agi i think it will have to be a different approach but i i mean all the all these people who are smarter and more successful than me believe that we will get agi within our lifetime you can be smarter more successful and still be wrong about the future though yes that's that happens all the time that's absolutely true but i i mean i just personally just just seeing, I mean, seeing how far we've come, like, I, I just think, um, I think we'll have it. We'll have it. So you don't life, think there's going to be any jobs in the future? No jobs at all? No. What will people do? No. Also, like, also, also many, um, many people are working on humanoid robots. Yeah. Because there's just so many things that we can't do without them. The, our society so, was built So what humans. will all the people do if there's no, no jobs? Play video games, live in VR, um, to have hobbies find find some ways to have goals cooking cooking something when you start the process of cooking something i love to cook you have a goal in your mind of what the dish you're going to make is and you're enjoying the process and then you get to enjoy it how about warfare I, may i don't think so i don't i feel like how like when there's this agi that can just stop anyone from doing it that knows everything and can stop anybody from doing anything i don't even see how we can do that I also don't know how we can control the AGI. Where, so if everybody's just playing video games and cooking all the time, how are they paying for things? <laughs> they don't have jobs. UBI. And where, where UBI. is that money? I mean, where, you're giving people money to buy things. Universal basic income. We have more than enough resources on this planet and within the solar system. So like, what, what Kardashev? Are you familiar yeah. with the Kardashev so, levels of civilization? Um, there's what this like, it's four tiers. Is that, was that it? Yeah, pretty much. Um, it's, it's not particularly even, um, I guess for the audience, uh, Kardashev was, I think, yeah, I think he was a, I think he was a Soviet astronomer, but at any rate, he posited this idea of ranking civilizations based on how much energy utilization that they managed to pull off. And so at, at tier one, you completely utilize the entire energy of your own planet. At tier two, you entirely utilize the energy of your own sun. At tier three, you entirely utilize the energy of your own galaxy. And at tier four, you entirely utilize the energy of your own universe. Uh, we are a 0.7 Kardashev technology level civilization. We, we, need to, we need to up our game if we have this sort of integration into space-time world. Uh, where where are you thinking Karshev wit was? Uh, we wind up. Oh, where do we wind? I mean, as far as it goes, I like we're using. As far as I know, we're using resources very inefficiently at the moment. 
Um, I don't know the I, I don't know the timescales. I, I I think it will happen pretty fast. Like as it, it will. I mean, it will literally happen as fast as possible, or faster than we think, because we are not smart enough to 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 actually figure out how fast it can happen. I don't know. I I I remember like many years ago, I read Superintelligence by Nick Bostrom, and I'm just like, oh, all of this makes so much sense. Um, but I'm not the type who thinks, and also I'm not the type who thinks that we're all going to be turned into paperclips, either. I don't I don't think something like that will happen. That's nice. Um, I'm not nearly as optimistic as Edward is. Uh, also, not particularly on the paperclip pessimism. Um, for those who don't know, there's a, this mental theory of, about the paperclip machine where uh, somebody develops AGI superintelligence and then sets it to manufacturing, you know, some trivial thing like paperclips. And then it decides that humans are an excellent source of atomic matter and turns all of us into paperclips. Um, but I think, I think that the world and the universe has plenty of challenges that are available for us. Um, and I think that we aren't going to suddenly stop being political and warlike and interested in fame and status and, and stuff like that. And so um, I think that it's going to be more about figuring out how to culturally manage super intelligent agents. And I'm not, I don't, I don't know that AGI is, is a reasonable, like, our lifetime type of problem, but super intelligence is something that we see on a day-to-day -day basis. And stable super intelligences are unbelievably valuable, and the kinds that we've developed to date have been unstable. How do you define um, how do you define super intelligence? More or less the same way that um, I would describe cars as as having sort of super strength um if you're if you're capable of producing mental things that exceed human ability um so markets can outplan human beings um google used to be much more intelligent than it currently is but it could it could sort of scan out the interesting bits of the internet very well um Google's Translate, I think, is still functioning as being able to translate better than than you can train human beings to do because it does sort of every language at top level. Uh, so that, to me, that's that's super intelligence. Uh, and then solving novel problems, uh, the deep hash group or whatever their their actual name is, uh, they've developed they developed a network uh, sorting algorithm that's five percent faster than the world's best one, which for companies like Google and Amazon would save them millions of dollars a year in computing time. Uh, and, uh, and they also solved the protein folding problem, which there's been some rumblings. Unfortunately, uh, scientific development in the biological space is not nearly as open as I'd like it to be. But if you can figure out what a sequence of amino acids is going to wind up looking like, then the next stage is writing the program that takes the shape you want and kind of throws spaghetti at the wall until it tells you which sequence of amino acids makes that shape. And then it's a trivial matter to build a genetic sequence and inject it into bacteria or something else and cause the mass production of novel industrially valuable or medically valuable uh, uh, proteins. Cool. So, so let's assume, you know, we all think right now AI is the big thing everybody talks about. We all assume that it's just going to get better. You're going to have the, you know, AGI, but, but, you know, there's been lots of things where people thought something was coming in the future. I mean, look at back to the future, right? We're all supposed to be on hoverboards and the Jetsons would say that we should be having flying cars and stuff, right? And that hasn't really happened. Uh, so let's assume we don't have this AGI anytime soon. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that we actually will have AGI soon. Um, but I think we 
are going to, I think we've, we've crossed a watershed in our ability to use computers and integrate them into the sorts of problems that people care about. And so um, from being able to do more high touch sales uh, or, or sort of luxury experience type things um, to run a lot more experimental variation uh, through our, our chemicals and so on, um, I think that we have a lot more capacity. And so the challenge is figuring out how to get that capacity to align to our interests. I don't, I don't know how those things hook up, but for me, that's, that's the challenge that, that comes forth is, uh, you know, like I have, I have a market system that you can plug agents into that are smarter than human beings and the market system works better for the human beings that are in that marketplace. That agent gets to make money. In fact, it gets to make a lot of money, but it makes a lot of money because the humans also make more money provably by its actions. And so... I'm I'm curious how does this how does this agent work? Um, so so this agent goes off on its own. No, and then it and it and it just and it makes money. So how? the way my system works is it breaks the market instead of from buyers and sellers into three pieces: producers, consumers, and negotiators. And so effectively, it's sort of this two-stage thing. Negotiators go into the negotiation market and predict where prices are and are heading, and then their collective integrated information is presented to the producers and consumers and they are allowed to trade but not negotiate pricing um, and so the amount of trade that those prices attract then produces commissions that pay off the negotiators pro rata shares based on the accuracy of their integrated information so if a super AGI that knows exactly what the price of wheat for the next 500 years is going to be shows up and tells everybody, then the market will cohere around that. People will trade the wheat that they trade at those prices um, and they'll all be accurate. And that, that system will collect the lion's share of the commissions from the wheat market. And individual farmers and millers will be able to plan their futures because they know what the future holds. Now, in a more realistic scenario, where things are going over the future is going to be hard to predict because weather, climate, and other chaotic systems are, are involved, uh, as well as politics and so on. But still, this system... Yeah, it's really hard to actually predict the future, no matter how advanced you're... Precisely. Systems, yes, yeah. uh, but there's too many unknowns. Systems that are better at knowing what's happening and warning everybody else about it will make more money, and so, and systems that are better at producing things will also make more money, and systems that are more efficient at using resources will also make more money. So whether we develop super systems in planting or baking or mining or or whatever or negotiating and forecasting those systems will benefit all humans that are still plugged into the system makes sense i should say what i what i think a agi and super intelligent my definitions for those are so i don't seem like completely off i think uh, i mean i might actually seem more off when i say this i think agi is uh like in what from what i understand about the definitions for, for what I, what, from what I've heard is that an AGI is an artificial ge general intelligence as smart as like the smartest human. And then super intelligence is an AGI that is smarter than the sum uh, of all humans. So I, I would take a slight, slight differentiate. I think that AGI and ASI are different ideas, actually. So AGI it would be a artificial agent that's capable of independent action. It doesn't actually have to be even as smart as we are. If you had a dog level of intelligence... It, so, But we already have that, right? Like AutoGPT is that... Uh, uh, AutoGPT is, is certainly simulating that kind of behavior. Um, 
although it remains to be seen whether or not AutoGPT is sort of capable of seeing to its own needs um, and and integrating within an environment. Mm. So that the argument for generative AI being part of the path to AGI is that things like AutoGPT can make that sort of a leap. And maybe, I don't think that's going to happen because just the computational Yeah, I don't, I don't think so either. But, but that's the argument that's being made. Super intelligence doesn't have to have these sorts of self-motivating factors. So I, I have more of a, a rough and ready, I guess, sort of practical definition. Um, so again, going back to sort of industrial things, a crane doesn't lift things the same way that a human being lifts things, but it lifts more than human beings lift. In some senses, a, a like horse or an ox would lift things more like human beings lift them, and it would lift more. Um, and so AGI is more like using the horse or the ox. ASI is more like using a crane. Um, and computers I see as being able to give us these ASI capacities fairly easily. We can see improved medical diagnoses. We can see improved game playing. We can see improved strategy advice. We can see improved bluffing. Uh, we can see improved algorithmic development. There's a lot of different areas and there's a lot more areas that they could still be applied to. So what jobs do you think are going to go away soon then? Besides all of them. <laughs> well, what, how about this? What's a job that people might be surprised will disappear, but you think will disappear? How about that? Oh, that's a, that's a very good question. Because there's some obvious ones, right? We've got self-checkouts at the supermarkets. Like we can see already there's fewer people working at checkouts, right? Those kind of things. Uh, you go to fast food, they got the little machines so you can order, so they don't need as many people working the counter. I think a lot of, a lot of jobs in medicine will go away machines will be better at predicting disease than humans can. I mean, I th from what I understand, that's like largely the case. Oh, Though that's, that's absolutely the case. Unfortunately, the machines that we know how to build that can do that are not being built in such a way that we can use them for that. But yeah, I'd, I'd love to see that problem get solved. Yeah. Uh, my, my big yeah, surprising one, my guess would be C-suite jobs. That's very surprising. The yeah. That's well, crazy. <laughs> the easiest jobs for computers to replace are the ones at the top of our civilization, not the ones that are at the bottom. For people who don't know what C-suite is, you're talking about like CEOs, CFOs, yeah. those kind of, the the executives that generally right. start with C. Um, yep, yep. It's, it's much, much easier to program a computer to read all of the emails, track all the, the spreadsheets, and make strategic decisions about company direction than it is to get a human being that's both competent to do those things and has co-interests with you in how that company functions. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I think I think that's and and a lot of times the it's your it would be helpful to remove some of the emotion from some of those positions and by not having a person do it. Well, not only that, that yeah. I think what we'll see, and we're seeing this right now, um, is that, again, the capacities are increasing. So the pressures that are going to be put on people in these zones are also going to increase. Um, you know, as we speak, we don't have a House of Representatives because they couldn't create a stable leadership. Um, but you don't have to stick to the realm of politics. Disney has had one of the most weird, you know, histories of CEOs over the last four or five years of their previous guy retiring, the new guy coming in, getting hauled in on a Sunday night to get fired, and the old guy coming back, and nothing really seems to work. They've, they've released like seven straight flops in the last year or something. So... The the fact that large organizations are going to be made up of tens or hundreds of thousands of people who all have TikTok and Twitter and YouTube and the ability to communicate with everybody on the face of the earth at all times, um, 
means that the the pressures and headaches and issues uh, and leaks that are associated with operating even medium-sized businesses are going to vastly exceed the abilities of people to do those jobs. And, and for a lot less money. <laughs> right, yeah. The people that have those jobs are going to break. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the ex-speaker, his, his sort of first statement was, well, I don't want the job anymore. Um, you know, there's still, there's still going to be a lot of ambitious people out there that are going to be happy to collect the paycheck for not being able to do the job. But, uh, but I don't think we're going to be up to it. And, and there's a very clear path towards building systems that can be up to it. And so, yeah, that's, that's what I'd say. I think I think companies will downsize because they're too big. It's just like they're too bureaucratic. They're too big. But I I don't see how generative AI is capable of making the creative decisions that come and the the strategic decisions that come with being um, in the C-suite. I don't think generative AI is up to that task. But the self-reinforcing stochastic tree search AI. Um, has produced uh, Go, poker, and now diplomacy players at superhuman levels. Um, and what is the what is diplomacy players? What does that mean? So diplomacy is a game that was invented by Avalon Hill, um, I believe. It's definitely released by them, and uh, it's it's basically a World War One simulator. It's a seven player game. It's a map of Europe. Um, you start each each person starts with three except for russia starts with four armies and about half of the map is occupied and the other half of the map that's unoccupied half of it is territories that can support an army and half is territories that can't support an army and the goal of the game is to reach a position where you control half of more than half of the army support locations on the map so the early part of the game involves spreading out and getting new army support locations so you can have more armies. The movements of the game are very simple. Basically, either an, an army or a navy can either move to an adjacent region or it can support an adjacent army or navy in its move, which might be a supporting move or might be a move to a different region. If two opposing armies attempt to occupy the same region, then if they have equal support, neither of them manage to do it. Uh, if they, if one has more support, then it dislodges the other one. So you can actually push in and take over from people. The thing that makes the game unique is that it's played in these two-phase turns. Phase one, the seven players discuss with one another what they want to do, and they can have private conversations about this as well. At the end of phase one, everyone writes down on a sheet of paper what their entire move is going to be, and then all of the moves are simultaneously revealed. Yeah, you don't take turns like risk or something else, right? Right. Everything happens at once. It's known as the game of knife because betrayal is an ordinary part of the game that's yeah, well understood. Until the rules were changed, I believe in the 80s, there was a world championship that actually lasted for more than three years because the game is relatively well-balanced and, and without rules to sort of force people to move. Um, they, weren't, they weren't playing continuously. It's not like they sat in a room for three-plus years, right, but right. they were playing steadily. So I, I, have, I have a question. So reinfor reinforcement learning, that requires a lot of reps, right? Correct. Like that requires like... It has to be done again and again and again. So how how does that work with with C level jobs? Well, so the way that stochastic tree search reinforcement learning functions is that it's not so much about the reps; it's about the the insight. So um, for these for established companies that have C suites that have deep histories now of what sorts of emails exist and so on. There is, in fact, a large body of knowledge that you can use as, as sort of the infrastructure of play, as you will. And the way that the system actually functions is that it tries random things. So the idea behind stochastic uh, tree search is, I don't know what the end results are gonna be, but 
I can sort of evaluate ending-ish positions. So what if uh, I try all the things that I could do right now and then play millions of random simulations forward from that position and then see, you know, when I do this, 90% of the time I like what's going on. When I do that, 10% of the time I like what's doing going on. This is better than that. And so what reinforcement learning then does is it trains the random future generator to with the knowledge of sort of what good directions are so that it searches in 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 actions that are more like good actions so it's not truly playing the games out what it's truly doing is learning how the judgment of this system exists and so it it is a stretch i mean it's not like this is going to fall out and alphabet is going to fire everyone tomorrow but it's 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 getting close enough that i could see i could see some 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 company deciding that it it wants to be operated better and start doing this and and really cleaning up as a result and you're not necessarily going to just get rid of the whole C-suite all at once, but you might replace one you, position you, or this position over here, and, and it becomes eventually all of them. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you replace the VP of ops, which maybe that's right, the easiest right. one to start with, or you replace your legal draft worker or something like that, and and then you're like, oh, wait, that was awesome. Like, you know, ops are clean and smooth. We understand what's going on. He's not going to get a job with our rival or go, you know, skip out and form a new company with all the stuff we just taught him. And then, and then you're like, okay, well, if that works, then that forms the basis for like logistics because that's what ops works with all the time. Let's, let's build this out. And yeah, I think, I think the C-suite, that's, that would be my guess. Yeah, interesting. That's definitely one that I think a lot of people will find surprising, but I think it makes some sense, yeah. All right, let's go the other way. What jobs do you think won't go away anytime soon? My neighbor's a dog walker. I think she's pretty secure for a while. <laughs> well, robot yeah. dog walker? I mean, Robot not? dog we were, walker We were just talking be. about humanoid robots. We were, but the, the margins, I think, are low enough, and the... It, Humanoid robots. So low enough paid that it's not worth replacing, basically. I have one. I actually think, um, like, influencer. I think being an influencer is, I think, actually quite often about how not to end up on the wrong side of, of AI and how not to be, like, displaced. And, um, no, I think, I think influencer is one that won't go away anytime soon. People don't really realize the, the power that you get when you start acquiring a brand and you're consistent every day and people want to see you and, and hear you speak and they just want to see you do anything because they grow to love you and people need icons. So I think that is one that will become, I mean, we're already seeing it become more popular, but I don't think, I think eventually their AI will be able to make great entertainment. I don't think there will be anytime soon. I think we need AGI to make, real gripping entertainment with a solid I'd, I'd agree. Story. The production of culture would be a demonstration of AGI. Yeah. So so we could, you said influencers, but we could expand that probably to actors, musicians, people that are creating things like this. It takes more yeah, of a absolutely. human touch, I guess you could say, maybe. I don't know. Absolutely. I'll give you, I'll give you an example. So there's this voice from Eleven Labs. You know, Eleven Labs is, is like, the, I guess it, is it the top company for text-to-speech and for training voice models? I think it might be. Um, so there's this very, very popular voice from Eleven Labs that you see in many YouTube videos, you hear in many YouTube videos, in many TikToks, many IG Reels, and it's this voice that's getting popular. And very at first, like savvy people were using it. They're like, this is a great voice. Then less savvy people use it and less savvy people. And eventually all the content that's produced with it, most of it is garbage because a bulk of the content out there is garbage. And now you need a different, and now you need a different voice. Now people hear this voice and it means nothing, unlike how it meant before. So 
Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you could have one company that makes a specific AI that puts out good content and the company is the one that is thinking of the content and they just it's it's faceless so they just use the same face with it you see that happening with with like virtual influencers like little tay i think was was her name on instagram you see that happening but that's still that's still an influencer so yeah i think i think influencers they will be here to stay for for a long time maybe even past ag i mean Past AGI, we so need UBI. If we're all if we're all integrated in the space time continuum with our UBI, then influencers might be what occupies our time in that future. Yeah, there's there's like the tribe theory, which is that our brains are not wired to handle more than like 150 people, like knowing more than 150 people, and so like we the people that we see on TikTok or Instagram all the time, we feel familiar to them. It's like, oh yeah, like um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's just the guy who's always at the gym. And Emeril Lagasse, that's, you know, that's, that's the chef. There's a, a story, uh, Jesse Eisenberg, I think, um, the guy who's Lex Luthor. I might have gotten the name wrong, but I think that's it. This is an interview he was giving after uh, the, the Now You See Me or maybe the second one, whichever one had Daniel Radcliffe in it. And so he's, he's giving this interview and he's talking about sort of learning about levels of fame. And he talks about the fact that he, you know, he gets recognized. He's got like an Oscar nomination. He's been working in acting. People recognize him sometimes as his characters. Uh, but he's on this. He's on this film working with Daniel Radcliffe, Harry Potter, and Woody Harrelson, Woody from Cheers. Um, and he says that the level of fame that they have achieved of playing a single character, globally beloved, for a decade, that that. You know, he gets recognized as, as oh, you're a famous person and I saw you in something and then they get the name wrong or they, they say somebody else. These people get recognized essentially as family members of, of people that you grew up with and, and you know, crowds and, and, you know, scads of people that, that, that feel that way about them. Um, and so, yeah, I mean... There's there's only so much of that level of fame that can exist because humans can't be aware of that many people, uh, and uh, that competition to achieve those levels of fame and find the niches within it uh, could certainly occupy most of our time uh, in some sort of post-scarcity world. I'm just not optimistic about a post-scarcity world. Uh, until we solve a lot more physics and engineering problems. And and to your point about levels of fame, there are probably people listening to this who have no idea who Jesse Eisenberg is and are like, sure, that guy that you were just talking about. But they're all going to know who Harry Potter is. <laughs> right. Yes. So uh, one other thing that I think um, I, I, I kind of looked at some stuff where people were talking about jobs that have will disappear, um, some of them that are easiest to replace and have already started to be replaced are sort of more entry-level stuff, right? Like your, your checkout people at the store and, um, you know, I've seen people say bank tellers, you know, ATMs have already replaced them a little bit where people are doing online banking more. So it's a lot of entry-level jobs. So what happens when entry-level jobs are gone? How do people, where do people start working then if the entry-level jobs are the ones being replaced? Or can we not replace all the entry-level jobs for that reason? Um, that's a great question again. Again, I'd say that that's, that's one of the fracture points of our existing cultural and political arrangements. Um, mm-hmm. Our challenge as a society is to work out how to create an environment where people can productively engage and do something of value to and for the, themselves that aids society. And it may well be the case that uh, we can replace the existing entry-level job system with changes in how education works, for example. Um, But Mm -hmm. what we've seen is education... Instead of learning on the job, you learn in education, yeah. Right. 
what we've seen is education actually trending towards less practicality mm-hmm. at the same time right. that jobs have pulled back. So the gap is widening rather than closing. And so to me, these which are, might force education to change. It then. might. Um, but that's yeah, that to me, that's I don't think education I, I have a I have an ed tech, so I, I look at education quite often. I, I don't think um, education can prepare people like the current state of education can prepare people properly. I don't even think systematized education like that can prepare people properly. I think the answer to your question is if there is no UBI, when that happens, there will be a French Revolution type scenario and people don't want to die. So there will be a UBI. And um, then what will happen is some people will just choose to live and smoke weed and and not work and play video games. And others will be like, I want more than this small basic income. And so they will work. Gradually, those jobs will go away. Those jobs will go away. And and eventually, there will just be very few jobs. I, I don't... I've, it, to me, like the argument that jobs will new jobs will be created just as fast as old jobs are made obsolete. I don't buy that at all. We've never had progress at this speed. Um, and uh, like our, the systems that we have in place are not built for any of that. So no, I think, I think there will be a UBI. But if nobody's working, where's the money come from for the UBI? Uh, there's plenty of money. Like I said, there's plenty of resources. There's pl- there's so much corruption that like there's so much so much of our, our our tax money is going to places that we don't want it to go to and that no one wants it to go to except for like one or two people. Sure, sure. But if but if everybody is just sitting at home and playing video games and not working, somebody's got to be making money. I'm not saying everyone will. I mean, somewhere there's got to be somebody producing something. In this model, uh Artificial general superintelligences are doing that for us very generously. Um, but I, I wish I could be as optimistic that uh, people don't want to die. Um, the, the, the leadership generally uh, doesn't seem to have concerns that are well aligned with that story. Um, I think that they should. Uh, the way I usually put it is that the current plan is to have a dark age. Um, but because our problem is one of overcapacity, that we do have vast resources, I think small groups can get together and start looking into how to solve those challenges. What sorts of institutions can support lifestyles that can bring people to productive engagement? Um, and and not be cults at the same time. And, uh, and that's, that's what's out there. You know, I've got, I've got one piece of a thing for like how to make markets function, uh, which they aren't really doing right now. Um, I think there's a lot of other smart people in the world and I'd like them to be talking about and working on this class of problem. How do we create an environment where, the the good plan for yourself is a good plan for the society interesting all right well that seems like a good place to wrap things up um very interesting conversation thank you guys uh why don't edward why don't you tell us again where people can find your stuff you're on tiktok you've got your podcast where can they find all that yeah uh tiktok if you just search build in public like build a house in public build in public i show up number one and my podcast is the edward show the edward show yeah all right yeah thank you for having me this was great and noah where people find out more about you you've got a podcast as well you've got your uh yes so there's a podcast called the fourth age four spelled with the number four uh the ai revolution uh with me and marty wiener uh also if you search noah healy podcast a lot of other podcasts will show up because i go on a lot of these things but uh it was great being here with you guys if you want to learn more about coordinated discovery markets i have a website called core disc c-o-o-r-d-i-s-c uh, or coordinated discovery markets is a term i invented so if you google for that term the first half page or so is all references to me and and what what it's about so you can learn that way in fact I've even asked generative AIs what coordinated discovery markets are, and because 
I invented the term, they agree that it's what I say it means. <laughs> <laughs> That's the nice thing about inventing a new term. You get to decide what it means, at least for now. For now. Until, yes. you know. Because language just sort of has a way of evolving and changing, so well, 50 years from now, it'll probably mean something different. But That's that's the basic challenge, yes, that, that we have to start confronting, because the ability to manipulate those changes is another one of those abilities that we have now. All right, cool. Well, links to all those things are in the, the show notes, so people can go check you guys out as well, and thank you so much for joining me. This was an interesting discussion, and it was pretty exciting how you guys basically started discussing my my topic before I even posed it. It was perfect. Very nice. Yeah, no, the moment no, the moment Noah you you said your background, I'm like, oh, I got to ask the guy these questions. Uh, yeah. Yep, yep. Very Crazy. cool. Awesome. Thanks. Well, enjoy your day. I'll see you guys later. Thanks. Bye. I, I'm always also like in this constant fear of I'm gonna record something and then this little fragile SD card is gonna break or get corrupted or, you know. So I'm always like, record something. Okay, copy it onto the computer quick. I have a podcast too and we have a recent episode where there might be some technical difficulties with some lost uh, footage and we're, we're still trying to figure out what's going on with that. Well, it's awful when it's actually happened. It's scar tissue from terrible experiences. It's a good paranoia to have though, actually.